podcast uses profanity and topics may be disturbing for some listeners. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Hell on Hills podcast. I'm Bryce. I'm Amanda. I'm James. And it's my birthday. Birthday episode. It's Amanda's birthday. It's Amanda Palooza. It's what it is. That's what we're going to call it. Amanda Palooza. <laughs> yeah. She she gets a long ass birthday if that's the case because we still got a couple weeks till your birthday. <laughs> yeah, but you heard it here first and probably every day until then. Yep, every day. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I'll just smile and nod. But since it's my birthday, um, I decided that I am. I did not research anything. I asked James if he wanted to be part of the podcast, and then. I asked him if he want. Did I ask you or tell you? He was voluntold. That's about right. Yeah. So I told him, hey, this is what I want to report on. You do it. And you don't have to have any of the trauma from doing the research. It's brilliant. Oh, we will have trauma because of the request that I requested. I said from doing the research. Oh, yeah. No, none from that. But we'll have trauma. Okay. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> um, I mean, this whole thing traumatizes me weekly. Yeah. Sometimes twice a week. <laughs> Actually, no, every time twice a week. Sometimes three times a week. But how are you? Both of you. How are both of you? You guys are there together. I can't ignore you. I can't see you, James, because you don't have a camera. So I feel like you're not there. That's my fault. I have a camera. And I'm ugly. I wouldn't have married you if you were ugly. Shallow. Honest. <laughs> <laughs> at least, at least she's telling you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think we've been pretty good. We've just been, uh, well, I've been enjoying the weekend. He's been working. Sounds like a you problem. Sorry, James. It is kind of a me problem. Does it make you feel any better that Cody also works the weekends? So he didn't enjoy it either? No, it just makes me sad for the plight of other American people. He did that by choice. That was He was not forced into this. He chose to work weekends, and he has Wednesday, Thursdays off. Why would you choose this? <laughs> uh, he gets a 20% pay increase. Okay, oh, I understand. Shit. So he's working weekends, but he feels your pain. He's not even home yet. Where he is, I don't know. Somewhere. I lost my train of thought really quick. I'm sorry. You were talking about Cody uh, wandering the streets. Yeah. Strippers weekend, you know, whatever. (laughs) If all the ones are gone in your house, you know why. Well, no. When I have the ones appear, I know why. Oh, okay. Because he is the stripper. He's not allowed to go to a strip club. Get it right. Especially not here in Utah. What's he going to see? No. Jesus? Special undies. <laughs> I don't think he wants That's to see that. Um, I have an update for the IVF stuff. Mm-hmm. I still don't know exactly when we start, but I got a road map. Like, like a literal atlas? Yes, a, an atlas of IVF. No. <laughs> uh, James, I don't know how much Amanda has told you, <laughs> but we, so we did the surgery. We got the road map, like, Friday. And basically it breaks down like the cost and what's nice about the the clinic that we go through for their cost they guarantee that they'll they're like we're going to get you pregnant one way or another like it's a guarantee or else we get our money from them back. Kind of sounds more like a threat. Uh, <laughs> uh it, it's a promise. <laughs> uh, <laughs> only because I'm technically asking for it. So it kind of sounds aggressive to me. Like, we are going to get you pregnant. Yeah, that's basically what <laughs> happened. He was like, no, 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 no. So they give you like a seven-month plan. 
Well, not every month you're doing like embryo transfers and stuff, but they give you a seven month plan. And he's like, if you make it to the seventh month and you haven't gotten pregnant, we're, we're probably not even going to make it there because we'll probably find something else before then or, you're, or you should be getting pregnant. So it's like every round I've got like a 50-50 chance. And then I don't know. He was much smarter than I am. He went to doctor school. I didn't. He went to doctor school. He went to doctor school. <laughs> but so they're like, they're going to impregnate the hell out of you, basically. Yeah. That's okay. their goal, at least. So well, that's good. But that's I hope he in... got straight D's. God. Oh, God. Anyways, that starts in April or May. We're not sure yet. <laughs> but that's where we're at. That's your only update you get. How are you, James? Terrible. Oh. No, I'm okay. <laughs> I was going to ask if I scarred you by the research I'm requesting. Yes. No. Damn. I'm not scarred. I try to make fun and light. Oh, I am so interested because nothing about this was fun or light. I don't know what case it is. I'm just here. I feel like I'm out of the loop. It's not it's not really a case. It's more of a subject. It's a subject. It's one I've been wanting to do for a while and I kept putting it off. But then I'm like, it's my birthday and I just want to hear about it. And it's right. It's true crimey. It's crime. You're a crime. Anyways. <laughs> um, I mean, hey. If it was legal at the time, it's technically a crime. It's true. Most 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 of these things are outlawed. Most? Probably, yeah. <laughs> I'm a little scared now. But that's okay. Um, Amanda, we didn't choose a shout out because we suck ass, apparently. James, pick a steak. Michigan. You know Michigan is special because I'm sharing my special day with it. So oh, by the way, special. we're we're doing a shout out right now. We uh, sidetracked and I cut out all of the sidetrack when we decided who we were shouting out. Oh, so we're so. going to shout out Michigan because Michigan is special. I think it's been a while. If we did ever shout them out, we're doing it again. So Michigan's special and I'm sharing my special day with you. But it's not a 50-50 share. It's like a 70-30 because it's my birthday. But y'all are still important. I was expecting you to say more like a 99-1. I I mean, I still care about them. I just care about myself more. Well, you're just sharing the day. You're not saying you don't care about them. Yeah, but we can can share it together. Because I would love to go to Michigan because they have cold weather and snow. So does Utah. Fair. I think Michigan's closer, though. Like, way closer. Yeah, James. James is shaking his head at me in a very disappointed manner. I don't know why, because I mean it's probably not like hugely close. It's closer, I'm sure. It has to. Yeah, but not way closer. You know what? One mile is way closer, especially when it's one mile closer to snow for Amanda, at least. See, she gets me. I I get what you're saying. I see what's happening. It's fine. Anyways, that's who we're shouting out. Hey, thanks, Michigan, for being here, hanging around. Thanks for still being here, yeah. They were here early on, too, so. Yeah, don't say it like that. Thanks for still being here. Thanks for hanging out for so long. Y'all are an OG. Y'all just ignore Amanda. I don't know what's wrong with her. You it's guys my are birthday. Great. Don't you dare ignore me. You're going to hear it be, a lot. It might be best to just <laughs> ignore her. Anyways, we do have our um, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all of that's up. 
All of our handles except for uh, Twitter are the same. Everything is Hell on Heels podcast. Twitter cut me off and it's Hell on Heels pod. Our Discord is also up. That is linked on all the things. So if you go to Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, you'll find a link to Discord. So just go there if you want to join our Discord. And then our Patreon is up and going where we've got some fun specials we're working on, as well as bloopers. And you guys will also get early access to all episodes. And then I don't know, is there anything else I need to cover? We do this every time. I think so. I think that's everything. Okay, well, since the birthday girl over here is in charge, um, are you ready to get started on a story that you forced your husband into? I'm so excited. Babe, are you ready? Yes. Okay, I'm ready. Go. Go, team, go. This is definitely the first time I've been saying this. Back Back before video games. You son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) If it makes you feel any better, if that happens, it gives me three separate tracks so I can mute the Amanda portion where it echoes back. Oh, okay. Works just fine. So back before video games and a comprehensive knowledge of scientific consensus, humans had to fill their time with other fun pastimes like Torturing the living shit out of people they claimed were witches because they wanted to take baths. My subject is mostly medieval torture. What the hell type of subject is it that you wanted (laughs) to hear about medieval torture and then you forced your husband to do the research for it? Well, I mean, you pretty much just nailed it. I wanted (laughs) to hear about medieval torture devices. Happy birthday to me! (laughs) God... Happy birthday, dear wife. These devices range from ones that we all know and love to the not-so-well-known and abjectly horrifying devices created by a brain that could have been put to good use but was instead distorted to create evil devices. Um, I'm going to start with some fan favorites, the ones we all know and love and cherish in our sick little heads. Fan favorites, I like it. Mm. Sick little head present. I uh, didn't ask for this. My (laughs) head's not nearly as sick as yours. So our first device is the rack, probably one of the more well-known torture devices. It's a simple device consisting of binds for the hands and feet of the victim connected by two wheels on a pulley system. Once strapped in, the victim would slowly be pulled in two directions at once, giving them the worst chiropractic visit of their life. Actually, no, I bet it felt really great for the first five minutes. Yeah. And then when the dismemberment set in, mm, that maybe not so great. so great, but yeah, it took a little <laughs> turn downhill. Uh, This method was often combined with other torture methods to intensify the pain, or as the torturer would say, loosen the lips. Under enough pressure, (laughs) under not like that, under enough (laughs) pressure, the rack was known to dislocate joints or outright tear the victim's In one recorded incident, a fire was lit under the rack that was subsequently extinguished by the sudden presence of blood as the victim's limbs were removed. Oh, so they were cooking them and butchering them at the same time basically yeah it was you know uh, two birds one stone yeah multi-craft torture you know they were a specialized shop didn't they do that with horses too where they would have like four horsemen and like tie them quartering mm. yeah that yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, being drawn and quartered was also a thing dismemberment was a very um, popular method uh, they had other Devices like the breaking wheel, where they would strap you to a wooden wheel and then just literally break your limbs over the uh, different struts of the wheel and just kind of mangle you on it. And then sometimes they'd like to roll you down a hill while you're strapped. You didn't happen to come across anything that uh, would explain 
how one would come into a job inventing these things, would you? Being part of the church. Oh, I did not actually did not see that coming. Okay. All right. No, that just that just seems to be a pretty uh pretty common theme. A lot of these punishments were often reserved for people who were deemed heretics. You know what? I can see that. I was more uh, concerned that Amanda was going to ask how to get a job doing the torture, and I was concerned for your safety, James. Well, at at the current point in time, it would be joining the U.S. government. Wait, but didn't I do that <laughs> on a like a lower city level for a minute, though? Anyway, the steak. First, preheat your oven to 350 degrees, and then place your witch on the center rack, preferably bound. Uh, the steak was a fi- <laughs> the steak. The stake was a favorite in the punishment of heretics, and your confession was the ultimate determiner in whether you would be burned alive or strangled first and then burned. Because oftentimes, if you confessed, it really didn't matter. They were going to burn you in. That's what I was going to ask. So you're going to burn regardless. Okay, but... So do you strangle first if they confess? Yeah, they strangle you first and then they burn you. Not necessarily to death, though. Most of the time it was to death. Okay, but why strangle? Okay, first of all, why strangle someone? Secondly, why not just finish the job at that point? It was allegedly to lessen the suffering of burning, but okay. But if they're found guilty or or admit to it, why would they want to lessen the suffering of burning? Well, we'll get to some witch oh. treatments here in a little bit. But the common theme is that if someone decides that you're a witch, it doesn't really matter if you prove you have proof against it. You're still a witch because she turns you into a new. Well, I got better. <laughs> I don't know. You still got the slimy skin sometimes. <laughs> you didn't get the joke. You never watch Monty Python. <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> you wait. You've never. Oh my! God. Stop. I try. I've wait, tried to get her to watch Monty Python. Is that the one I keep trying to watch and I fall asleep? I don't know. With the with the man the, with no arms. You, you just. Yeah. You just. Yeah. 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 Uh, okay. But the the first part of that description fit about ninety percent of the movie <laughs> watch. <laughs> yeah. Now we know what happened to him. Um so oftentimes the stake was the final destination of all your all expenses paid trip to your own personal hell. As most of the time other torture methods were employed against you before you ever got to this point. Um the stake's greatest hits include Joan of Arc, William Tyndale, and Shireen Baratheon. I'm sorry. A either you guys watch Game of Thrones? No. That's why okay. it sounded familiar. Okay. <laughs> I was like, wait, that last one. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry, it. all the listeners who've watched Game of Thrones. Uh, a variation, a very fun variation of burning at the stake, uh, something called the Roman candle. Uh, Nero made these famous when he'd use Christians as lighting for his yard parties by setting them ablaze, starting at their feet, for efficiency and a longer burn, of course, and leaving oh. them burning until they were expended. For efficiency. Yep, they would burn longer if you started at the feet. So, wait. Never mind. Never mind. I'll understand. People really thought this out. They did. Why were they called Roman candles? I wasn't going to ask, but I changed my mind. Do I want to know? Is it because they're a Roman person? Yeah, Nero was a Roman emperor. Oh. So this was invented in Rome. It was used in Rome. Nero being the most famous to do it. And as for the other question you were thinking, no, it probably had the opposite effect of a citronella. I just feel is, like that's the worst smell. In the last story that I edited, Amanda said, 
that the little shitheads used, I can't remember what it was, but it was to cover the scent of a burning, of burning flesh. Tires. They used tires. I'm going to oh, trust okay. that, that it stunk. If tires smell better than burning flesh. Well, imagine if you were, yeah, I guess you, you're burning something to a crisp, it's going to smell bad. But if it was a medium rare. I just keep hearing all the dad jokes. And my dad would be so, I don't know if he'd be proud, actually. Podfather might approve of this episode. Hey, Dad, let me know. <laughs> um, so we, we've all heard about hanging from the neck as a form of execution and torture. But what if you did it backwards? Hanging from the feet? No, that's, that's upside down. Well, I don't understand how one would do that backwards. It's a method called the upright jerk. So an upright jerk is pretty much how it sounds. Oh, not like that, you pervert. Um, the victim would be bound by the neck through a series of heavyweights and pulleys. The victim would be suddenly and violently pulled upwards in an attempt to break the neck. What if it didn't work? Well, try again. It it was a great idea, but execution is more of an art than a science. So sometimes it wouldn't work, but in that event, it doubles as an old-fashioned hanging. Um, uh, shouldn't execution be a science? And not an art? Oh no, it was it was it was an art. It was it was never very precise. That's why with the upright jerk you finished with a hanging if it didn't work. That was their fallback plan B. Mm -hmm. Can we stop saying upright jerk? I don't know what else to call <laughs> this method. This this podcast right here, this one that we're doing, is smuttier than the uh Tintinabellums where we were talking about dicks writing dicks. No, we were talking about dicks on dicks. Oh, that's what I meant by riding. Oh, it was a man riding a flying dick. dick. Yeah. Oh, my dad's going to kick my ass. Way to get me in trouble. Oh, I'm definitely going to hear from him this episode. <laughs> How do you know what dicks are? I already got told I'm not allowed to say the word penis. <laughs> what did he tell me to say? Something. The male gland. Nope, Don't was... ever say that. <laughs> no, I can't. I'd have to look it up. I don't remember what he told me I was allowed to say. Clearly, um, I didn't. Phallus. Listen. The phallus. I used phallus, though. Probably what I'm allowed to say, but. Okay. The proof of that is. Um... Let me look up. Hold on. Daddy, dearest. I so much appreciate the dick thesaurus right now. Hold on one second. <laughs> the dictionary. How long ago did we did, do the Tintinabellum? It's been a while. Like before the cruise. Yes. <laughs> oh, here we go. He he said the approved version, this was specific for the Tintinabellum, was um it's a historic relic that is phallic shaped. Phallic? Yeah. Okay. So <clears throat> why were we talking about phallixes? I don't know. <laughs> um, oh, the upright jerk. That's why. <laughs> Dongs. Nope. I, I was not even approved to say wee oui, wee. Oui. But that's French. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm limited on what I'm allowed to say. You can thank the Ask me about my wiener. Nope, not even an approved word. I think I asked about wiener too. <laughs> so, falling. Uh, made famous, or rather brought to the forefront of horrified viewers' minds in Midsummer. And that one movie with the oily, hunky Spartan men. 
Throwing a person off a cliff was a simple and effective solution for ending a person's life and torturing them in the process. I think I would prefer that method. Because I feel like, well, how tall is the cliff? Tall enough to kill on impact? I forgot. You haven't seen Midsummer. But it depends on how you fall. Oh, was that another movie reference? Yes. Oh. It depends on how you fall. In the movie Midsummer, uh, two people jump off a cliff. In this particular movie, it wasn't necessarily torture or execution. It was a sacrifice. But um, the first person jumps off, and they jump off head first, and instantly. The second person jumps off and lands feet first and does not die instantly and is in excruciating pain until someone puts him out of it. If that was a choice, I feel like it was the wrong one. Oh, very wrong choice. He should have jumped head first. Uh, but cliff stairs, witching towers, you name it, or um, platforms, you can get as creative as you want. All that is really required is distance between the victim and the ground. Uh, witching towers were particularly fun because they were used as a litmus test. If you died, you weren't a witch. Lucky you. If you survived, you were a witch. Obviously, how would you have survived otherwise? Now that you are a witch confirmed, they get to find some other fun and horrifying way to kill you. <laughs> I really feel like back then there had to be... Well, maybe they weren't because then they were considered a witch. But how were people not like, but you die regardless? I'm sure people knew. They were bored. They didn't have TV. Or Snapchat to Snapchat their dog all day. That was the real problem. They did not have Desperate Housewives, so they just threw quote-unquote witches off of cliffs and made their own Desperate Housewives. It's the Desperate Middle Ages. Mm. They really didn't have to throw them out of towers either, because if she weighed the same as a duck, she was made of wood. I got that reference. How? You never... It was literally the from the same movie. Is that's the same movie, same scene, even? Oh well, I guess I was paying attention at that part, but I got it. Holy shit! <laughs> All right, Amanda, we got to do a watch party. Yeah. Okay. Specifically of that movie. Holy Grail's great. Life of Brian. Meaning, they're all good. Anyway, so if you were a witch, they would do things to you, like put you in the Scold's Bridal. So the skull's bridle was a metal cage that would be put over your head, and then they would pull your tongue out and put it in a compress, often spiked, to render the wearer, quote-unquote, silent. Uh, this this device was, yes. Spiked, meaning they pull your tongue out and then drive a spike through it, and then just leave it? No, they don't drive it through it. They compress the tongue, so it was generally not impaled, but being compressed by Oh. Okay, let's duct tape does the same thing. I mean, not quite to that extent, but it does shut them up. So, but it's not as fun as compressing it with a spike because have the you... device. What <laughs> have you never seen someone pull duct tape off their face? Because I'm pretty sure that's a torture all in itself. That's a modern right. day torture. I've seen them pull it off their chests, but never their mouths. Can you imagine? No, absolutely not. So the skull's bridle was used to mostly shame people with the added feature of putting them in extreme pain. Um, the device did not normally lead to the death of the wearer, but generally, if you were accused of being a witch, that was an inev inevitability by some other means. Some side effects of the skull's bridle are increased salivation, mouth fatigue, wink, wink, extreme pain, and embarrassment. <laughs> the bride's just shaking her head. I should have. 
proofread his notes <laughs> before this. And for everybody, I apologize. I'm just thinking about what am I going to have to cut out? <laughs> the whole first half of the episode. <laughs> We're so sorry, guys. There is no true crime. <laughs> the only crime was this research. Or the way I delivered. I don't know. I think the crime is the dad jokes in here. <laughs> is there dad jokes aplenty? Mm-hmm. Are you just using us as practice for when Annie can appreciate your jokes better? They'll never appreciate. It. Yeah, she's my daughter. She'll never appreciate them. <laughs> like, Shut up, Dad. That's why I'm asking if you're trying to practice on us. <laughs> Maybe it's not not gonna work. We can't let our Western friends have all the fun. Torture yes, existed can. in the East as well. <laughs> Lynchy or death by a thousand cuts is what, not what it sounds like. A victim is restrained, and small cuts and slices would be applied across the entirety of their body. The objective was obviously to put the victim in as much pain as possible until the final stab to the heart or a decapitation. I am pretty sure Maisie attempts to do this on me all the freaking time. <laughs> Look at my arm. Look, hold on, wait. Do you see that? That is Maisie. Lynchy. <laughs> death by a thousand cuts. <laughs> The human. <laughs> Normally, she's trying to get to the bottle I'm drinking from. So, uh, the real fun thing about this particular method of torture is that it prevailed for over a thousand years until it was finally banned in 1905. 1905. That, that feels yeah. really late to the party. Like they didn't get the memo, did they? Like that's what happened. They're like, oh, a memo was sent out last last century, a couple centuries ago. <laughs> didn't it got lost that. in the mail. Never got it. We must have killed that courier. Death by a thousand cuts for a thousand years. That's awful. Oh my gosh. And that brings us back around to drawing and quartering. Oh. Uh, like I said before, dismemberment was an all-time favorite method of torture and execution. And what better way to do that than with horsepower? Not so. the horsepower we're thinking of. It's not a convertible. Mm-hmm. It's exactly the horsepower you're thinking of because that's what it's based on, except it's one horse. But one horsepower in a motor is literally what it sounds like. It's the power of one horse, and it's enough to tear your arm off. Wait, is that an accurate? Yeah. I never knew that. Is that a mechanic thing that you're teaching us? Yep. yep. This wasn't supposed to be educational in that way. Please stay on target. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> We don't bullshit on this podcast, okay, James? I don't know what Amanda told you, but... <laughs> We're super serious all the time. We're professionals. Absolutely. A- episode 71. Yeah. 71? Is it 71? Yeah? Question mark? Hold on, let me check. The- I mean, it's definitely 70. <laughs> and if not, I will edit this out. Yes. 71. I'm seeing two episodes into the future. Because currently, Hell on Hill's podcast has 69 episodes on Hell on Hill. Cast on Spotify. Did you look that up just to make that joke? No, I saw it earlier today. <laughs> it did get released yesterday, so notifications go out sometimes on Mondays. Uh, to di- to by today, I meant last night because my days run together because I work two days. <laughs> that makes sense. I go into work one day, and when I get off work the next day. I mean, either way, I've gotten the notifications on a Friday, and I'm like, where the hell did this come from? <laughs> Why do I follow these bitches? I don't know. Losers. <laughs> cool cover photo, though. Yeah, I like the donkey. Is that roller skates? So mode it be. I'm sorry, James. We are interrupting your story. Go on. Yeah. 
what better way to dismember somebody than to strap your extremity to horses and have them gallop full speed in different directions? Now, this method of torture was usually reserved for those who had committed treason, but wasn't always exclusively for traitors of the state. Sometimes they just liked you. So, wait, did they have like exclusive punishments for, you said this was typically for treason, but were there other things for like adultery or murder or. Depending on the culture, there were certain punishments for certain crimes. And there's one really interesting one that we'll get to here in a minute. Didn't they differ per class too? Like nobles and royalty pretty got pretty much got like quick sentences, but I think like the lower classes it, they got tortured more. It was typically like what you see with the guillotine, for example. The guillotine was one that was typically reserved for higher classes because it was a quicker death. And yeah, a lot of the torturing but- devices that you saw were for heretics were dead, typically from lower classes. Well, I, also the guillotine was more public, wasn't it? Like they're not. There's not a crowd watching four horses run in separate directions. There's not space for that. I think oh, a no, lot there. of these were public. <clears throat> uh, absolutely, drawing and quartering was uh, a lot of the times a public event. Um, wow. Along with the hangings and everything. Well, you had to stand. You had to get there early and get the good viewpoints. Well, so if the horses were pointed north, south, east, and west, you'd have to, you know, stand northwest. It's wild to me that people, like, this was their entertainment. Like, people would get together with the family and bring a picnic and just go watch someone be guillotined. Do you think they had splash zones? You had to pay extra. You had to get there extra early for those seats. Yeah. Well, that is another thing that I talked about. I know a lot of times people would take things from the criminals, question mark? The victims, they would take things. Mm-hmm. Like, I know they took pieces or sold pieces of the hangman's rope, but they would also take, like, pieces of the victim's clothing and stuff. Anything they can get a hold of. I'm pretty sure people took fingers and stuff, too. Only if you're in the splash zone, though. That was a special VIP splash zone privilege. Mm-hmm. So, for lovers of extreme bondage, there is something called the strapado. In a strapado, the victim's hands would be tied behind their back, and then their body would be lifted by their wrists, forcing them into an uncomfortable position that usually ended in dislocated children. The fact that both mine and Bryce's faces fell when you, when you said something about, about lovers. bondage? Of, yeah. Both of us were like, where is this going? <laughs> I was oh, like, we just- are not doing BDSM today. Just imagine your hands tied behind your back. You know, like like you do the thing where you put your hands behind your back and you stretch. I don't oh. do that. Like, <laughs> yeah, I know what you're yeah. talking about. Yeah, but you do that, but your wrists are lifted above your head. <laughs> no. I can do like this way, but not that way. No. Oh, I can just hear the popping. Just imagining that and I don't like it. Uh, If your body weight alone wasn't enough to cause the sudden incorrect positioning of your joints, uh, they would add weights uh, to facilitate. Add the weights to where? What did you say? I said ankles. Okay. Either way would work. (laughs) What did you think I said? Hankles. Yep, the hankles. (laughs) Exactly where they're added to. He's laughing at his own jokes over here, so something good's coming (laughs) up. No, I was laughing really at you bad. guys. Oh. Uh. It's because we're fucking funny. 
some of the most ancient torture and execution methods were some of the most interesting. Um, this particular punishment was called, uh, I'm going to butcher this, but Pona Coli. And it was usually reserved for perpetrators of parricide, ancient Rome. Parricide being the murder of your parents or another close relative. Uh, the victim would be sewn into a sack with a variety of animals and then thrown into a body of water. Wait, wait, wait. Are wait, these wait. animals living? Yes. Are they, what is a variety? Do we have examples? Like, do they put a cat, a dog, and a rat? Lions, tigers, and bears, and you throw it oh, in? Oh, my. Some examples of the animals used are dogs, monkeys, snakes, and roosters. What did they just get all the worst animals they had lying around the farm? And a monkey? There's, I was going to say, there's monkeys on your farm? What? <laughs> on my farm? There would absolutely be a monkey or two. That's a banana farm. It would be bananas. It would be bananas. The idea was pretty foolproof, because if the animals didn't kill you, the water definitely would. Wait, but what about the animal? So not only are you in a sack drowning, you are in a sack with four or five other animals that do not like you or each other, and they are also drowning. Yeah. You, you, you would be, in the last moments of your life, you'd be locked into mortal combat with a rooster. That is my worst fucking nightmare. <laughs> Any winged creature in my area in my last moments. No. Noted. Bryce is afraid of Oh, I'm so glad the audio cut out when you said that. <laughs> Everybody knows what he said. We don't have to talk about it. Dad, I didn't say it. I didn't say it. <laughs> but yes, this punishment was particularly cruel for the addition of innocent animals having to also suffer this fate. Unless the animal is also a criminal. So, unless the animals also killed their parents. <laughs> Did the animals steal from the king? I just want to know if they're a thief. Because I feel like the monkey would be. Could be. Possibly. What's the monkey doing? Stealing bananas. Actually, the monkey is screaming at you right now, so. She is. She just woke up and she's pissed. What'd you do to her? You probably did something in her dream. It was probably all the dad jokes. And she just subconsciously was like, (laughs) this is bull. So, all torture doesn't have to be physical. Psychological torture can be implemented with great effect. And you don't necessarily have to scar someone on the outside to scar them on the inside. Uh, One method of psychological torture is called white torture. I'm I'm psychologically scarred from this. Not from (laughs) this, from this story. Uh, one method of psychological torture is called white torture. That's when Amanda mispronounces Korean dishes. Um, you? When... <laughs> wow. I'm just kidding. I want a divorce and some uh, burlap. <laughs> this method of torture is a sensory deprivation technique in which the victim is kept in a white cell, fed white food, the lights are kept on all the time, the guards wear white, and no one ever speaks. I've so, never heard of that. That's terrifying. They're just getting getting fed white bread all day, every day. Yeah, or white rice, or probably like grits. flaky white fish. Grits, grits is a good one. With no butter. Yeah, just white grits. White grits are not right. I've never had grits. If they're white, they're not right. I'll tell you that right now. They gotta be like yellow or like orange from cheese. White grits are horrible. 
Is that how you know when they're done? Is they're not white? No, that's how you know when they're not seasoned. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know they're not done when they're grainy like sand. All right. Then. Famously, butter is a seasoning. Uh, <laughs> is it though? It is for <laughs> Southerners like me. Um, butter is Paula Deen's favorite season. And brown sugar. No, I used a recipe from Paula Deen once that was meatloaf, and it had a brown sugar crust, and it was horrible. Well, you've got to put the right seasonings with the right food. That's a you problem for thinking that'd be good. It's Paula Deen. She's queen of the South. I did think it would be good. You don't have to trust what Paula Deen says for everything. It is no, not I what would Paula Deen do, okay? After that meatloaf, I do not trust her. Although this isn't physically pain painful. Uh, apparently the damage can be dealt to the mine with this uh, that is permanent and apparently excruciating. Yeah, no big deal. Just permanent damage. Permanent damage. With the, with the what was it called? White torture. White torture. Okay, I thought I was wrong, but I was right. Okay. Uh, sleep deprivation is the multi-tool of torture. Uh, not only are their mental effects devastating, but long-term sleep deprivation can lead to physical harm as well. Some side, of effect, oh, some side effects of sleep deprivation are hallucinations, anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, paranoia, immune deficiencies, diabetes, heart disease, and negative effects of the pituitary gland, not to mention crankiness. Oh, not the crankiness. Oh, please don't be cranky. Oh, How long no. does it take for the crankiness to kick in? It's probably before the rest of that stuff. Does it ever fade away for the crankiness? No, even after he sleeps, he's still cranky. Well, I mean, you too, Amanda, so. <laughs> I got jokes, too. <laughs> so, probably one of the worst ones that I've seen uh, is a method of torture called scaphism. Uh, scaphism starts off sweet enough. Uh, you're fed your fill of milk and honey. Uh, but soon after that, you're stuffed into a you're stuffed into an enclosed space and bound. Your new home can be a pot that you're strapped into or a carved out trunk of a tree. From there, you're force fed a diet of milk and honey until you develop diarrhea. After that, they spread the honey all over you. Wait, wait, the new honey or the old honey? I don't want to know. Honey. Just honey. Just honey. The diarrhea will do its own thing. Uh, so after you're force-fed this diet of milk and honey and you begin to expel that diet and you are spread with honey all over you, uh, you will inevitably, inevitably be accosted by insects and probably sepsis until you slowly die an agonizing death. Uh, many of the victims of this form of torture would be nourished as they died with obviously more milk and honey prolonging their suffering as they were literally eaten alive by maggots and other insects before succumbing to the bugs or sepsis, oftentimes literally decaying while they still live. Nope. Why do they, why milk and honey? Why is that fed to you? Is, does that do something within the insides? It gives you diarrhea. Oh. I don't think anyone heard you say that. <laughs> oh, I did that on purpose. I said uh -huh. jokes on them. Everything gives me diarrhea. Would Mediterranean shrimp kebabs give you diarrhea? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it sounds great, and it would not stop me from eating it. 
But the only thing that does not give me diarrhea are the steroids that I am currently taking. What about Asian chicken lettuce wraps? That sounds delicious. But be careful, because James gets offended when people whitewash his food. (laughs) I meant to say he gets offended, but he also gets offensive. So, besides this fun list of tortures that I compiled, there's a few honorable mentions for tortures that were fake or never confirmed to have actually happened. So, um, the most famous of which is the Iron Maiden. Um, the Iron Maiden is one of those things that's super famous in like pop culture and stuff. Everyone really thought that that was an actual way that people would be tortured, but the Iron Maiden uh, is actually a hoax created in the 19th century uh, as a way of describing earlier Europeans as brutal and uncivilized. Um, not wrong, but that's besides the point. Uh, there's no proof of their actual uses in the medieval torture. But it was in Matilda, the movie. Yes, the famous historical record that is Matilda. Matilda's right about everything. I don't know why you're trying to argue this. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't really understand. This is the oh, I wasn't, I wasn't arguing. <laughs> We're just I making was it clear. Confirming. Matilda is the source of all truth. If it was said in Matilda, it's correct. All hail Matilda. Um, and then the last one that was never confirmed to have actually been used or have ever happened is a, a technique called the Blood Eagle. I've not heard of this one, and I don't know I want to. Uh, this one's from Nordic mythology. Um, it's from Nordic mythology. And like I said, it was never confirmed to have actually been used. Um, the supposed torture involved playing the victim's back removing their ribs, and then extracting their lungs while the victim was still alive to make bloody wings. Oh. Cool. Interesting. I don't know I would say that, but... Okay. Do they... Do they have to be bloody wings? What do you mean? I don't know, I guess you could clean the lungs. And you're still alive for this one, right? For as long as you can be. Why would you ask that type of question? Why would you make it worse? That's the fun part about a lot of these is that you're alive for them. Time out. Fun fact. Did you know, totally not off subject completely, but did you know frogs cannot vomit, but when they do need to, they physically throw their stomach out and just clean it out with their little hands and then put it back. (laughs) Wait a minute. (laughs) I've heard of this. I've never in my damn life can you imagine the first person to ever see a frog vomit up its own stomach and then dig through it with its little webbed paws? Yeah, they probably loved every moment of it going, oh, they're, I don't know what they're doing, but oh my God. Oh my God. First raccoons and now frogs. Raccoons? Yeah, they only, well, raccoons wash their food before they eat it. I guess the frogs do it after. Well, that's only if the frog eats something that upsets their stomach. And then he's like, I gotta get rid of this. Get it out, yeah. <laughs> and they just kind of throw it out, clean it, zhuzh it up a little bit. If I ever see an overweight <laughs> frog again, it is <laughs> not. I don't know where I was going with this joke. It'd probably be offensive. I'm just gonna stop. Okay. Whew. And that was my super fun, super interesting list of torture. Dad joke laden. So many dad jokes. I don't. 
It was fun. I just don't know if my dad's going to approve all the jokes. So I'll give you a grade later, James, when I get the grade. He's probably going to dock you for every phallic joke inserted. <laughs> I hope he doesn't dock me. You guys, I'm going to be in so... You guys don't have to talk to him. I do. I'm going to be in so much trouble. As Amanda just laughs her ass off. This is so funny. All right, well... James, if you're done with the dad jokes, I've got a story. Okay. It's it's not uh, the story I wanted to do. But that's because the story I wanted to do is going to definitely be a longer one. So I said, you're screwed, Amanda. So when you do your next two-part story, I should be able to do that one with it. Okay. Um, So instead, I decided to talk about something we haven't talked about. It's been a minute. We haven't done a poltergeist story. I'm excited. Yeah, it's it's been a hot minute. So, are you ready to learn all about the Borley Rectory today? Yes. I is that like a re- face of recognition? I just like anytime it's. I just feel like anytime something has rectory in its name, it is so haunted. Why are you both giggling? Stop it! That's not what I meant. You know what? At least there's no moaning ghosts at this rectory. Uh, Anyways, so we're going to talk about the Borley Rectory. And it is known as the world's most haunted house to some. So Borley in general, it's like a small rural community in the UK. So some sources show that the population of this, it's not a city from what I understood. It's just like the community. Um, But some sources showed the population as of 2022 at 89 voting residents. It's teeny. Yes, teeny tiny. And it's made up of three hamlets um, that make up the whole parish for Borley. So just kind of area that it is. Three hamlets. Like Macbeth or? No, no, no. It's like a grouping of homes. So it's like you've got this small grouping here and then a small grouping here. Okay, I've never heard of Like we have cul-de-sacs here. So I'm guessing that, is that like a UK term? I had to Google what a hamlet was, so I just assumed you know. No. They're so much cooler than, like, they are so much better with words than us. I like that better. We have cul-de-sac and they have hamlets. I love it. They're not better at words than us. They spell color with a U. Have you ever thought that was the original way to spell it and we thought we were better and we removed the U? They've been here longer. I think they know what they're doing. (laughs) The silence. Okay. So, You're right. They taught us how to be an imperial power. Mute yourself. <laughs> now Amanda's volunteering or volunteering James to mute himself. So, all right. In 1862, the Borley Rectory was built by Reverend Henry Dawson Ellis Bull. It was built to house the rector of the church. And so after that, uh, he and his family would move in. And this actually was built on the site of the old Herringham Rectory. So there was already one there, and then something happened, it got torn down, they built a new one. Reverend Bull, he moved in a year after he was named the rector of the the parish. And this home would replace... Oh, hey, look in my notes, I have what happened. The uh, Herringham Rectory was destroyed in a fire in 1841, so that's why it wasn't there before. Anyways. It's uh, always a fire. It's always Well, there's more fire to come in the story. The original home, the original Borley Rectory, it would be added on to accommodate Bull's large family. Would you like to guess how many kids he had? 17. 
A little too high. Twelve. A little too low. Five. Oh. No, that's the olden days. You gotta you gotta chalk them up there because half of them are gonna die. So you gotta gotta have a lot of them. Fourteen. Yeah. Fourteen. How did you even transport them from what year was this? Eighteen sixty-two. Oh, it didn't matter how you transported them. They walked. They're walking everywhere. It doesn't matter. Well, in the end, by the time the Borley Rectory was completed, it would have a total of 20 rooms, and it nearly surrounded a courtyard in the center, and there was just, like, a small, narrow path to get into the courtyard. And in the actual build, there was potentially evidence that showed that the building structure for the Borley Rectory utilized existing structure uh, structures as well during the initial build. So they potentially used the foundation of the pre-existing or the previous rectories that were there. Now, it is cited a lot of times as the most haunted place or the most haunted home in the world. Now, paranormal events started as early as 1863 with neighbors claiming to have heard unexplained footsteps in the home, hearing weird noises. The family themselves would begin seeing ghostly apparitions. Wait, how did neighbors hear? Like, when they were visiting or were the neighbors at their house and they're like, somebody is really stomping on those floors over there. When they were visiting. So they'd be there, and they're like, where are all of your 14 children? Oh, out at the well? Who's upstairs? I don't know. How many kids does it take to get water from a well? Well, Well, you have 14! Yeah, fair point. When you have 16 people and they all have to take a bath on Tuesday, that's a lot of water fetching, I guess. A lot of water. Okay, quit judging them. So the family would begin to see ghostly apparitions as well. Four of the rector's daughters saw what they believed to be a ghost of a nun. What is happening? James fell asleep. I'm that boring. Wow. Oh. He's been he's been awake since like what uh, four o'clock yesterday, and it's six o'clock um, seven. I am awake. <laughs> it's fine. I won't be offended. Just don't tell me next time. <laughs> I'm just teasing. Okay, sorry. Okay, so four of the rector's daughters saw what they believed to be the ghost of a nun, and they claimed to have seen this at about twilight. They said it was about 40 yards away, and the girls claimed to have tried to talk to it, but it would disappear as they moved closer. And this would actually become a regular occurrence, seeing the ghost, ghostly nun walking the path near their home. The family was actually stunned to find out that the locals reportedly called the path the nun's walk. Oh, so this isn't new. No. In 1892, Reverend Bull would pass away, but his son, Reverend Henry Foister Bull, would take over the living situation and become the rector. By the 1900s, actually by 1900, the family would become convinced that they had seen apparitions on several occasions. There were just weird things, and there were definitely different mysteries surrounding the rectory, and they would just continue to pile up. There were witnesses to cl- that claimed to see Phantom Coach driven by two headless horsemen. Two headless horsemen at yeah, the same two. time? Yeah. So nobody knows running. where they're going. Well, they're headless. They can't see anything. Wow. See? Wow. Annie always has the best commentary. She really does. <laughs> Anyways, um, there were a lot of reports of seeing an unknown woman or nun watching people from an upstairs window. Some people will contest that it might not have been a nun, but a veiled woman. But 
mixed with a nun. So most of the reports say a nun, though. Fuck that. God. Well, most of the reports just were iffy. Um, They had a lot of creaks and crashes that were often heard in the home as well. But also, they have 14 children. Are they always accounted for when you hear creaks and crashes? I don't know if they're always accounted for in general. I'm just saying. Anyways, on June 9th, 1927, Harry Bull would pass away. This is Henry. Henry Harry Bull. This is the the second rector. Okay, so this is the the son. Yeah. He would pass away in the rectory and the rectory would become empty again. It was actually said that Harry Bull enjoyed the ghostly occurrences and kind of considered them more like entertainment. Like so much so that he reportedly built a summer house overlooking the nun's walk where he could smoke and watch this just ghostly nun. Uh oh. He's got a different definition of fun. I would say so. Most people want to watch the sunset. You want to watch a nun walk. Yeah. A ghost nun. You want to watch a nun float. Yes. On October 2nd, 1928, Reverend Guy Eric Smith and his wife would move into the rectory. Not long after they move in, Smith's wife was clearing out a cupboard and she came across a brown paper package containing a skull. Uh What? A what? A skull? Yeah, a human skull. In a cupboard, in a brown paper bag. Yeah. Yeah, that's normal. It's no biggie. Um, And also after that, the family would begin just getting a ton of different incidents that they're like, we we can't explain. They don't have 14 kids, so they're not having to account for 14 pairs of feet pitter-pattering around. No, but they've got a skull in the cabinet. Well, not anymore. What did they do with it? Do we know? I do know, but I'll tell you about it later. Okay. So something bad, probably. Gotcha. Sure. So they start hearing all these different different things. So they see the sounds of the servant bells ringing, even though those bells had been disconnected. Lights would appear in windows, unexplained footsteps. Smith's wife claimed to see a horse-drawn carriage one night. She did not mention the headless horseman. And even reports of their daughter getting locked in a room that had no key or lock on it. Uh, did anybody, was anybody there for this? Or was she just like... Mom, I couldn't do the dishes because I was locked in my room. Uh, I think they were there for it. Now, there are some claims that this was a different resident's daughter. But regardless, someone's getting locked in a room at some point with no lock. The Smiths would reach out to a local newspaper to ask. And they're asking to be put in contact with the Society for Psychical Research. I got it that time. Not psychiatric. Psychical. On June 10th, 1929, the Daily Daily Mirror would send a reporter out who would begin a series of articles about the Borley Rectory. The newspaper would also arrange for Harry Price to come visit the home. And Harry Price is a paranormal researcher. I think we've talked about him briefly before, specifically with Jeff the Mongoose. Yeah, I I was going to say, if we haven't talked about him, I don't know how, because he was, he's, uh, he's traveled. Yes. To Jeff the Mongoose. He traveled to Jeff. <laughs> Jeff with a G, y'all, if you remember. Yes. G-E-F. It was not J-E-F. F. No. Don't no. put some respect on his name. Yes. Anyways, so Harry Price would actually arrive on the ho- at the home on June 12th, 1929. As soon as Harry started visiting, new paranormal phenomena begin. 
stones start being thrown, decorative items such as vases and other throwable things are also being tossed around. They get spirit messages that would be tapped out from a frame of a mirror. Price claimed to have even contacted the spirit of Harry Bull, who had passed years earlier in the rectory. But as soon as Price left, the activity would slow down. So this was suspicious to the Reverend's wife, and she actually believed that Price had possibly falsified some of those claims. However, there at this point, reports are saying that they're still seeing paranormal activities. Ultimately, the Smiths would leave the Borley Rectory on July 14th, 1929. While they might have believed that Price was fraudulent, according to some claims, they did leave because of their very real experiences. The parish would struggle to find a replacement until Reverend Lionel Algernon Foister. He was actually a cousin of the Bulls, who was the original two, um, original two rectors that lived there. He would move into the rectory with his wife and his adopted daughter on October 16th, 1930. Foister would write an, art, an account of all the paranormal or strange occurrences that happened when they moved in. And he documented these all the way until 1935. So five years worth of experiences that he documented. His list includes bells ringing, windows shattering, the throwing of stones, bottles, or other throwable objects, uh, writing on the walls. And most of these contained uh, pleading messages that were normally addressed to his wife, Marianne. And reportedly, some people claim that the writings would often occur in real time and people could actually watch them appear on the walls. And according to the Foisters, they would try to paint over and remove the writing, but it reportedly never went away. Did that happen? In, didn't that happen in Jeff's case too? Uh, Was the writing? Jeff? Yeah. No, I don't think so. Okay, I might be, I'm probably getting it mixed up. Because Jeff is a talking mongoose. He can't write. Jeff? can do whatever he pleases. Jeff is wonderful. We love him. Jeff for and president. 2024. Yes. Okay. His wife, Marianne, added some of her own claims as well. And she claimed to be thrown from her bed, slapped, and struck with rock. How do we know she didn't just fall out of bed? And, like, she was embarrassed, so she was like, no, someone threw me out of my bed. Reportedly, this, this type of thing happened consistently, like, multiple times. But we'll talk about it more. His daughter, Adelaide, which, by the way, I kind of love the name Adelaide. No, I really like that name. I think it's hey. really pretty. Yes. Anyway, so his daughter, Adelaide, claimed to be attacked by something she called horrible, but I couldn't get any further details on this. And it is possible that it was this little girl that was locked in the room with no lock rather than the Smiths. So that was where the conflict was, was which family. Now, Foister would send this on to Price. Before sending it to Price, though, or not long after, Foister also attempted to cleanse the house himself by performing an exorcism on at least two separate occasions. Both failed, in case you were wondering. He claimed that in the middle of the first attempt, he was struck in the shoulder by a fist-sized stone. So definitely not wanting to leave. And all of this was super highly publicized, and it was published in this newspaper, The Daily Mirror, and it attached, or attracted a lot of attention to many psychic researchers, as well as just a lot of randos that wanted to see for themselves. So they kind of drove by the house and were like, what's up? Uh, anyways, point is, is that these psychic researchers, they basically unanimous, unanimously agree on what they suspected to be happening. 
but we'll talk about that later. No, we won't. We'll talk about that now. Okay, I was about to be like, I'm tired of talking about things later. <laughs> we'll talk about it now. They, including Price, believe that they, that consciously or unconsciously, the poltergeist activity was caused by Mary Ann, the wife. She believed many of the paranormal activities were, like, truly paranormal. She, she claimed that they were. She would also counter and claim that it was actually Price and her husband creating these paranormal events. So she's flipping it and being like, not me, him. Them. So she thinks her husband and Price were, like, teaming up? Yeah. Okay. Well, she would, however, later come out and say she was having some naughty, naughty fun time with a lo- logger, lodger named Frank Peerless. She said this. She came out. She didn't say naughty, naughty fun time. That was me. Okay. Th- well, first of all, <laughs> put a pin in that because we're coming. Like, I like that. Um, but she just like outed herself. She's like, no, there's no ghost. I'm screwing the logger. Lodger. Lodger. The logger lodger. I have it written as lodger. So, yeah. She also claimed that she used the paranormal explanations to cover up her time that she spent with Peerless. So. Wow. She crafty. really was sick of this thing. She was crafty. She was like, if I gotta use it, I'm gonna use it. I wonder there- if she really was, or if she was just tired of this ghost, and she was like, I gotta get out of this house. Uh, from what I understand, is she didn't actually come out about this whole piece until after they had already moved out. Oh, okay. So she really so. had nothing to gain or lose. Nope. nope. Where am I? The Foisters would leave the Borley Rectory in 1935, and this was due to Lionel Foister's poor health. After the Foisters left the home, it was again vacant, and some reports claimed that the church no longer considered the home suit for a rector to live in. And at this point, Harry Price, he, he takes matters into his own hands. He would take out a year-long rental agreement with the owners of the property. He puts in an ad in the Times on May 25th, 1937, and following the ad, he would conduct different interviews. And ultimately, he would recruit 48 individuals, or as he called them, official observers. And these official observers, they were mostly students who would spend periods of time at the rectory, just telling him what they saw. So that's it? He paid people to live there? Well, you said recruit. Did he pay? or I don't know like- if he paid. I don't think he paid. He might have. I didn't see anything about it, though. But either way, he was like, hey, come hang out in this house and tell me what you see. Yeah, he's like, just hang out around here. And I thought, man, these college students are that bored. Yeah. They, what they are they going to college for? Oh. Must have been something boring. Like, Well, point is, is that they, they were given the instructions to report anything that occurred. Anything paranormal, you give it to me, I want to know. In March of 1938, Helen Glanville, she's the daughter of one of the official observers, she would conduct a Planchet seance. And from how I understood this, this was not done in the home, but it was done nearby in Streatham. And reportedly, she made contact with two spirits at the Borley Rectory. Would you like to hear about the spirits? Absolutely. Okay, what if I tell you the first was a nun? Did she go on walks? Did she have a veil? This was a nun who identified herself as Marie Larray. According to the Planchet story, 
Marie was a French nun. She left the religious order she was part of and traveled to England to marry a member of the Waldegrave family. The Waldegraves were the owners of the 17th century home before Borley. She claimed, in this reading, she claimed to have been murdered in an older building on the site of the rectory, and her body was either buried in a cellar or thrown into a non-operational well. Oh, what the? Okay. She also claimed that the wall writings were her doing, uh, often writing on the wall, Marianne, please help me, things of that nature. The second spirit contacted identified himself as Sunix Amurs. I don't know if I'm saying that right. He claimed he was going to set fire to the rectory at 9 p.m. on the evening of March 27th, 1983. This is the same night that they're doing the, the Planchet seance. And he also claimed that when he did, the remains of a murdered person would be revealed. Uh-huh. There was not a fire or a murder victim found that night. Okay, way to get people's <laughs> hopes up. There would be a fire on February 27th, 1939, 11 months later. You really, you really threw on us for a loop here. Spirit number two. I don't know how to say his name. Sorry. Sunix. You really throwing us for a loop here, Sunix. Well, Not cool. So the new owner of the rectory, Captain W.H. Gregson, would be unpacking boxes. He would knock over an oil lamp in the hallway. And at this point in time, the house has not been connected to gas or electricity. Like, the water was collected from a well in the courtyard. So it's not like high tech here. But the fire spread really quickly. The house was severely damaged in the process. Now, the insurance company would investigate and they determined that the blaze was started deliberately. So no payout there. Not clear on who they thought started the blaze. I assume they're saying it was the homeowner. During the blaze, there were some onlookers that claimed to have seen a nun in the window. Okay. Well, can we get um, a statement from her on whether or not this was accidental or for real life? Well, no. Um, (laughs) Only because after the fire, the house is destroyed. They don't fix it up. There's no insurance money. And the place is gutted. Well, sorry, Gregson. Hold that thought. As time goes on, more sightings of paranormal would continue. One woman would claim to have seen a figure of a ghostly nun in the upstairs window. According to Harry Price, this woman demanded a fee for her story. So he's like, I don't know if I'm going to get that whole story. But that's what we've got. Price would continue to investigate. And in August of 1943, he would conduct a brief dig in the cellars of the ruined house. Here he discovered two bones he believed to be the young woman's that he had made contact with, uh, the Marie Loray. So he's like, I found these two bones, they're Marie's. There are some sources that noted that there was a certified pathologist that said, yes, these are human remains. And they did reportedly bury these two years later at a nearby cemetery on hollowed ground. Why did it take two years? The, the closest church to the Borley rectory, the Borley church, said they would not allow the burial. So they had to go find a different church that would allow it. It'll, I'll explain why later. Okay. Dang. So, yeah, so they had to go and find a different church that would allow it. In 1944, the rectory would be demolished. The land the rectory once sat on has since been divided up, um, and there's like a fo- farm and four bungalows on the property now. The most 
Common occurrence or sightings was obviously the nun. She was often seen on site and the local, there's a lot of local folklore. So there is the lore behind Marie Luray. And there's also another local folklore or legend that says that this nun fell in love with a monk from the monastery. And this nun and the monk attempted to elope, but they were found and sentenced to death. Now, there's a couple different endings to this. Some say that he strangled her. Others have complete, like, another third party involved. But ultimately, the monk would be sent to the gallows, and the nun was sealed into the walls of the nunnery. Okay, I feel like that's worse for her. Alive. Just because they fell in love and wanted to run away Uh from... Well, she's now from the Lord. She's betraying her vows because she's already made vows to the church at this point. And it's not clear what year this is. This is had to have been before 1862. I still feel like it's unfair that he goes to the gallows and she gets walled up alive. Like that's bull. I don't know what to tell you. I'm offended on her behalf. They also often hear doorbells and servant bells that were known to ring without cause or even after they were dis- disconnected. Apparitions in the windows, rocks being thrown, window shattering, just a whole plethora of things. Now there are a ton of skeptics. Most of these skeptics believe that Price faked a lot of, actually basically all of this. After Price passed away in 1948, a reporter named Charles Sutton claimed that he and Price were actually visiting the rectory when a large pebble hit Charles Sutton's head. And he claimed at this point that he grabbed Price and found in his coat pocket, it was just filled with stones. Three members of the Society for the Psychical Research had some of Price, and this included some of Price's loyal associates, but they would investigate the claims of Borley. They published their findings in a book called The Haunting of Borley Rectory in 1956. I could not freaking find this book. Pissed me off. Point is, is they publish it and they conclude that Price had been the cause for some of the paranormal activity. And these are his, these people are loyal to him. At least two of them are loyal associates. Yeah. Man, come on, Price. I was rooting for you, bud. Yeah. They would write that there were also natural causes to many of the occurrences, such as rats and the acoustics produced by the odd shape of the house. They also noted that, you know, Marianne Foister had already admittedly at this point falsified her claims. Like at this point, she's already come out and she said, yeah, no, I lied. Not only that, but there are a lot of inconsistencies stating that some of the residents mentioned earlier never actually experienced paranormal events. Mr. and Mrs. Smith claimed to have left the residence, not due to the paranormal activity, but due to the plumbing in the house. But they are the ones that got Harry Price involved. Hmm, okay. And remember that skull that Mrs. Smith found that was, that was in the cupboard? Yeah. So the skull that she found was attributed to a victim of the 1654 plague. So basically it said just due to the plague and the poor burial conditions at the time, um, a lot of the the victims of this plague were not buried well or properly. And so it was it was not uncommon for them to find bones coming up from random places in this community. And you've got to think in this cupboard, it was likely in their basement where it wasn't flooring, it was dirt. Whoa, that's wild. Like I know that happens. And I know, like you said, I know that was common for the time, but it's just wild to think about, like, that's wild. (laughs) I don't have any other words. 
And these these remains, when they did find them, um, to answer your question from earlier, typically they would be reburied at the church's cemetery with no issue. Just here, here's mm-hmm. a skull, please bury it again. Now the writing on the walls, the automatic writing that everyone was like, this is this is proof. This like, how is this writing co- coming up on the walls and everyone can see it? This might have just been a misinterpretation. It was simply spectators watching an automatic writing session happen. And they were using the walls and wallpaper as the paper and not like the writing coming up through the paper. So they're actually seeing someone doing the automatic writing on the walls. First of all, that's disrespectful. Don't write Mm -hmm. on my shit. Um, From what I could find is they just needed the space. And so that was where they could make enough space to do the automatic writing. And the writing also coincided with the affair that Marianne was having. So it started at the same time that her affair started. I'm still, you know what confuses me is I don't know how paranormal activity got her like going. Well, I don't understand how she used that as a cover. I don't really like maybe the thumps and knocks. Maybe, but like if people are getting hit in the head by rocks, what does that have to do? Is your man up there in the window, like, throwing rocks at people, or? Well, they, they believe it was Price doing that. But I don't know. I don't, I don't understand how, I cannot fathom a way to say, oh, there's a ghost here. I've got to disappear for this amount of time, and then I can go do some hanky-panky with some rando. Like, I can't fathom how that would work. Well, I think we know how she was falling out of her bed. <laughs> yes, we know how she was falling out of her bed now. <laughs> The bones that Price claimed to have found after the building was burnt to a crisp. Would you like to know about those? I would. Very much so. People believe that Price himself had planted them. There are claims that the owner of the home when it burned down was present when Price found these bones. Basically, there's a lot of people who say there have been a lot of other excavations on the professional excavations on the property completed. And nothing was ever turned up. And you spend a couple hours and you find two bones. That doesn't make any sense. Well, Mm. also the two gardeners that were recruited by Price to dig in the cellar claimed that the only identified bone recovered was that of a pig's jawbone. Okay, why is that there? I don't know. Don't ask me silly questions. This just, I just feel like back in the day, all of these random animal bones would be found in a house or a skull in a cupboard. And people are like, oh. That's fine. We butchered our own animals back then. It's okay. No big deal. This was 1900. So I don't know. But it was. Yeah. So a lot of people were just really skeptical. And they were also skeptical how convenient it was that Price had a pathologist and a barrister on hand during the excavation. Okay. Yeah. But man, this is really, this is really making me feel some kind of way about Price. Yes. I used to be on his team. Yeah. Anyways, also, like, it's just weird that, like, you find these bones, and you asked why it took two years to bury, to rebury those bones. It's potentially because they were pig bones. So the church was like, I'm not burying pig bones on our hallowed ground here. Okay. Okay, yeah, I get that. So. Pigs deserve to go to heaven, too. I'm not arguing that. I'm just telling you that the church may not feel the same way. Pet cemetery. Gotcha. Yes. Um, maybe not that horrifying, but yes. 
Ultimately, most experts agree that all events could have been caused by either verifiable natural events due to Harry Price's practices. They also claim that a lot of these are not validated events either. And most of the highly popularized events were set up by Harry Price himself. The children of Harry Bull, the second, second family to be in, also claim that they never had seen or experienced anything. So they're like, we live in the most haunted house in the world. What? Like news to them. Of course, there are people who, who defend Price. However, most experts today consider his practices dubious and they dismiss most of his evidence. He was, after all, an expert magician and a member of the British organization known as the Magic Circle. To this day, there are still some who claim to see paranormal activity, activity, activity in the area, but most claims of the activity has moved to the nearby church. And that is the Borley Rectory. So is this place haunted or not? It doesn't exist anymore, technically. It was demolished. But it's still debated. A lot of people say it is. I don't. I kind of question price because in every article I read, there's always someone saying, uh, yeah, are we sure? Yeah, like, I, I think the last time we talked about him, I was like, oh, hell yeah, that guy knows what he's doing. And now I'm like, he's an entertainer by trade. So. He is. He is. I'm assuming James fell back asleep. Yeah, he's gone. He's, do- he's dozing at his desk <laughs> right now. Poor guy. That's okay. Uh, any other questions on the... Oh, and there are pictures. I put pictures in the drive. I've been going through them. This place is so... it's Well, it was very pretty, and now it's very creepy. Uh, also, oh, well, this is an old house. I was going to say, how many fireplaces do you need? But this this was built when that's, like, all they had, right? Yeah, they didn't have, like, central heating and air. Simpletons. Also, one of those pictures with the nicely trimmed rounded hedge, that one is the church. It's oh. one of the color pictures. Oh, okay. Trim as in... Uh... Nicely trimmed hedge. Oh, uh, I guess I stopped listening at trim, and I was like, "This house has a little trim on it." Yeah, well, most of those are the same. I also included pictures of the automatic writing. I saw that. So this is on a wall. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> some of it. Some of it before before uh, Price came and started investigating. Some of it was on scrap pieces of paper. And then he was like, no, we're going to do it big. I'm going to go. I'm going to go outside and get some pebbles. And then we're just going to ride on their walls. Go big or go home. Anyways, that's I think that's all I've got. Scope it or go home. Scope it or go home. Good morning, sunshine. (laughs) (laughs) Where the fuck have you been? I thought that's what you said right at the end. We said go big or go home. Oh, go big. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> the real question james is did you hear any of that i heard a little bit of it he he crashed amanda apparently has is is making him work you heard the beginning didn't you a little bit okay well james i i, I remember the nun the the um fuck what did they call it? the nun's walkway the nun's walk yeah that was the yeah the nun's walk, walk. Yeah, the that nun like, walk. That's when all the nuns in Europe get together and they walk across the country. Fuck you. <laughs> She's not wrong. <laughs> I mean, she could be not wrong. I don't know. Well, so basically, James has no idea what happened with the Borley Rectory because he only stayed awake for Amanda's portion. 
So he definitely knows that it's it's haunted. Possibly one of the most haunted to some. <laughs> he he believes everything that Price says as well. Mm-hmm. He's nodding. <laughs> okay, I'm over here like Wait. just seeing him. <laughs> He's nodding yes. We were both muted because somebody is just super talkative. Thank you all for listening to Hell on Heels podcast. To see pictures from this episode, you can follow us on Instagram at Hell on Heels podcast, Twitter, Hell on Heels pod, or Facebook by searching Hell on Heels podcast. You can find us on Linktree by typing in Hell on Heels podcast. If you want to support us, please like, review, rate, share, and subscribe on your preferred listening platforms. If you want to take your support one step further so we can create additional content for you, you could donate through Patreon where we're working to release specials for our patrons. If you have your own true crime or paranormal stories, suggestions, or words of encouragement, please email us at hellonheelspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you all for listening. Be sure to tell your friends to listen with you. Bye. Bye. Bye.